NASA loves interns, and we employ hundreds of them across all the activities that we do, including the history of NASA. One of the big questions that was guiding my project is, how do we practice what we do in human space exploration? Hi, I'm Jim Green, and this is a new season of Gravity Assist. We're gonna explore the inside workings of NASA in making these fabulous missions happen. I'm here with Felicia Raguchi, and she is an undergraduate student at Dartmouth College. She recently completed an internship here at NASA in the history office and also working with the Office of Chief Scientist. NASA has always had tremendous interns, both during the summer, but also during other times of the year. They perform very important work for NASA. Welcome, Felicia, to Gravity Assist. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. So what actually did you do to find out that NASA needed interns, particularly in the history department? So I interned during the pandemic and it was kind of during a time when I had just finished taking classes and then I was going to take my next term of school off. And so I was looking for an opportunity to do an internship or some other experience. And then my dad one day um, told me that NASA was looking for interns and he saw something about it online or in an email or something. And I was like, oh, that's amazing because, you know, he knows that I love science and love space. Um, so I looked at the application and saw that it was due um, this was on a Friday and it was due on a Monday. And I was so I was like, oh, no, how am I going to get this application together? But I was able to get all my parts done. And a really wonderful professor of mine was able to send in a, re a recommendation just in time, like one hour before the application was due. Your internship project was to research a historic facility at the Marshall Space Flight Center called the Neutral Buoyancy Simulator. We also call that the NBS. Now, the MBS is where astronauts train on how to perform outside work in space, but they do it here on Earth in a water tank. And I was personally a safety diver for many years there. Well, how would you describe the Neutral Buoyancy Simulator? Yeah, so the Neutral Buoyancy Simulator, it's really cool. I wish I could see it in person, and hopefully I can one day. But since we were remote during the pandemic, I haven't seen it yet. But basically, it is a huge water tank. Um, it's 43 feet deep and I think 75 feet across um, holds like 1.3 million gallons of water. And so the whole idea of this facility is to simulate um, weightlessness. And so the way that you do that is by achieving a state of neutral buoyancy. Um, and I'm no physics major or anything, but um, neutral buoyancy is basically when an object is neither going to sink in the water or float in the water. So it's kind of just going to hover there. Um, and you do that by using a combination of weights and flotation devices, and you can kind of weigh out a suited subject who's wearing a pressure suit. You can use little wet lead weights, um, weigh them out till they're neutrally buoyant, and then they're just kind of hovering there in the water. Um, so effectively, you're using the tank to simulate weightlessness um, in space. And of course, it is a simulation, so it's not perfect. There are things like water drag, which you would find in the tank, which won't be in space, but it's a really good simulation for how to work with objects and how to move things, heavy structures around um, in a zero gravity environment here on Earth. Well, why was the NBS so important to NASA? Yeah, the NBS was really important to NASA because it played a role in so many critical missions um, that, that NASA has done over the years. Um, and I didn't even know this, so it's really amazing to 
kind of dig into this history and realize that the neutral buoyancy simulator played a role in so many critical missions, um, including, I mean, one of the first things it did is it played a role in saving Skylab, which was uh, the first space station. Um, so the NBS was used to practice the procedures for um, deploying like the protective solar sail and how to save the space station. And they were there were engineers actually doing those procedures in the tank at the same time as the astronauts were doing them in space. Um, so that's one, um, one huge accomplishment of the NBS. Um, and another huge thing is um, the design and the development of the Hubble Space Telescope, which is amazing because the Hubble Space Telescope is something that so many people know about. And it's one of the most productive scientific instruments that NASA or anyone has ever created. And the telescope itself was designed and then developed in, using the NBS. So we were able to make a serviceable telescope by working with hardware under the water in a weightless environment. And that way we were able to place handrails and foot, foot rails on the telescope in a way that allows astronauts to go service the telescope. And which is why, you know, we service it so that it's still um, functional today and still producing data. So as you gathered information about the history of the tank, you interviewed all kinds of people. What were some of the memorable stories that you ran across in your research? Yeah, so the conducting oral history interviews was probably my favorite part of this um, history research project because it was really fun to be able to talk to so many different people who were involved with the tank and just really fun to talk to NASA people in general because I think that this is definitely, yeah, they are in general very um, passionate and very eager to talk to students and people about their work. Um, so for the um, researching the NBS, I interviewed kind of four different categories of people. The first was engineers, um, also astronauts, and then divers who worked in the tank, the test conductors and other test personnel who kind of worked at the facility itself full time. Um, so those are the four groups of people that I interviewed. Um, and it was really, really fun to talk to engineers about the tank because really at its heart, the neutral buoyancy simulator was a design and development facility. So it was used for concept testing, concept development and creation. So, you know, engineers would get in there, get in the pressure suit, try, have an idea, uh, you know, put up, um, put in some hardware, some mock-ups and try something out. And that's how they would really go about engineering the structures that we find in space today. I also got to speak with one astronaut and that was George D. Nelson, um, who um, flew on the solar maximum repair mission. And that was a really, really fun conversation. I got to talk with him about the tank and he was telling me about um, his close friendship with Story Musgrave and how he passed on um, kind of all the responsibilities for taking care of the suit to um, to George. And so how, you know, he was in, in charge of that as when he was in the astronaut office um, and also, you know, in his dives in the NBS. Um, and I also got to talk to him about the Solar Maximum mission and preparing for that in the tank um, and kind of the um, the amazing um, things that they were able to do with the manned maneuvering unit and how they demonstrated um, the success of that in space. And they kind of, they also had an underwater mock-up of the MMU that they used in the NBS. So that really shows how, you know, side by side you have the space, you know, doing whatever you're doing in space and they were able to simulate it really effectively in the water at the NBS. You know, as you mentioned, the Solar Maximum mission was a satellite that, that went awry and it had the capability of being repaired. And indeed, that mission was spectacular, grabbing this absolutely enormous uh, satellite and getting it into the uh, shuttle bay. Well, now that you know all about the history of the tank and all the positions that the divers did and, and the suited subjects, 
if you were going to participate in any of the NBS dives, what role would you be and what would the dive be? Oh, that's a really fun question. Oh, let me think. I think, hmm, well, if I were to go in the NBS, I think that I don't know if I'd want to be the suited subject just because that seems like it's a very high pressure role and also I'm a bit claustrophobic. So I think being in the pressure suit might be a little difficult for me, uh, even though it, might, it would be really fun. Um, so I think that I would want to be, um, there's a whole network of divers that were really critical to all of the NBS dives. You know, you had safety divers, water safety divers, photo divers, utility divers who were setting up the hardware and the mock-ups. Um, so I might want to be a photo diver and, and, you know, holding one of these underwater cameras and videotaping um, the whole test from start to finish, which they did because that was the data that each test produced. And so you get this whole video of the test and you would be able to extract from that, you know, the important um, the important knowledge about the spacewalk and about the equipment that they were engineering. So I think being a photo diver would be really fun. And then I'd be able to see, you know, the test from start to finish. Jim, I know that you yourself were a diver in the tank. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I had wonderful memories, uh, many wonderful dives. Uh, between 1980 and 1985, I did about 150 dives in the neutral buoyancy tank. But my position was a safety diver. So I was responsible for the life of the person in the suit, whether it was an engineer or an astronaut. And indeed, I had a wonderful opportunity to wait them out. I could do that rather quickly. In three minutes, I could get them neutrally buoyant, put them in any position, let them go, and they would stay there. They wouldn't rise or fall or they roll over on their back, completely neutral, and then take them down to their station where they needed to do their work. And then watch them as they, as they did their work and as they got into uh, more complicated dives. Uh, really uh, ensured that they were always safe and always ready for uh, for me to step in and and uh, help them uh, any way uh, necessary to make their job successful. Uh, so those dives were great, and I certainly enjoyed that time. And unfortunately, I had to leave in 1985 and and go to my next job, which was at Goddard Space Flight Center. Yeah, definitely. All the divers and people that I talk to always say that they have great memories about diving in the tank. So it seems to be a very fondly remembered thing by, by lots of folks at NASA. Well, it really is. When you think about it, uh, you're watching the development of the procedures they're going to use in space, where they're really trying to make something happen, where it doesn't always work right, where they have to figure out what the next steps are. And, and it's like being there. It's like being, you know, in a suit, watching them, supervising them uh, in terms of making something happen, like repairing a satellite. And so this really connects all the divers with the human exploration in space, you know, and they know the essential part of what they do in the tank is the fundamental process of getting these people ready to repair or build structures and make really something important happen in space. And that's been going on uh, since the late 60s. And it's just been tremendously successful. This is one of the reasons why human exploration has done what it's done. And we're in space for the last 20 years. We've had somebody in space on the International Space Station, which we built. And many of those uh, operations were practiced in the tank. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that couldn't have been done without all the divers and all the people who volunteered. So they definitely played an incredible, incredible role. 
Well, in addition to the interviews, you had an opportunity to look over a variety of material. What was the most important material that you uncovered in the history of the MBS? Yeah, so for the material that I worked with, um, it spanned, you know, written papers and reports that were written about the NBS. Um, also, a lot of photographic evidence. So there were tons and tons of pictures of the of the all the dives that happened in the NBS. And so there's an online archive of those. So I worked with those photos, um, as well as there's photos stored at the at Marshall Space Flight Center. Um, but I think one of the most important um, sources that I worked with was this newsletter, this archived um, archived issues of a newsletter that was a weekly newsletter that was published at Marshall called the Marshall Star. And so we had archived issues of that newsletter from 1968 all the way to 1997, which spanned the entire um, lifetime of the tank. And so using that archive of, of these newsletter issues, I was able to go through and kind of really extract um, a pretty comprehensive history of the tank and the who was there, what tests they were doing, when it was happening, um, and any other important news um, about the tank. And using that information from that archive, I created a 60-page timeline, which kind of covered like all the basics about the tank and what happened at it. And then from there, we were able to use that to kind of cross-reference other sources, figure out dates and times. Um, and people who came to the tank. So that that source was a, was really invaluable to my project. Well, as you say, this was the first tank that NASA had starting in the late 60s. But as you also mentioned, it, it was no longer in use after 1997. What happened to it? Yeah, so the story of the decommission of the tank, I think, gets a little tricky. So you have the tank at Marshall, which is the neutral buoyancy simulator, the NBS, which is really being used for engineering design and development. But then you also have simultaneously, there is a series of tanks at Johnson as well. One was like the weightless environment training facility. And then now today it is the NBL, so the neutral buoyancy lab, um, which is much larger than the NBS. And so that's kind of the tank that's been in use since the NBS got decommissioned in 1997. Um, and that tank is really used more for astronaut training. So uh, a lot of the people I talked to um, who worked and dove in the NBS thought it was really unfortunate that the tank was decommissioned because it really was playing a different role as opposed to the NBL at Johnson. So it really was at Marshall about engineering, design, and development, and concept creation. And that type of work is really important to conduct when we're figuring out um, how to do new things in space and pioneering new missions. Well, how do you think the history of the MBS really relates to the history of NASA as a whole? Yeah, so the history of the NBS, I think, I think it's really important because um, kind of one of the big questions that was guiding my project is kind of a simple question, but you, when you start to think about it, it's really important. Um, and that question is, how do we practice what we do in human space exploration? That's kind of what NASA is all about and what the agency is all about is putting humans in space and exploring space in different ways using technology and engineering and science. And so um, the tank really encapsulates that idea. And it's all about practicing for that human space exploration, um, creating new missions, creating new concepts and testing them out to make sure that um, that when we send people and astronauts into space, that they're going to be safe, that they have procedures and they have the tools necessary to do what they need to do safely. Um, so I think that the NBS is really, um, really captures NASA's mission. You know, in terms of doing all this research and accumulating all this fantastic information, what do you think the next step should be to preserve 
the concepts of the neutral buoyancy tank that was done at Marshall. Yeah, so the neutral buoyancy tank, um, I believe that the facility itself, I mean, it's been decommissioned since 1997, and I believe that the facility is going to be tore down um, or destroyed, unfortunately. So, but I think even without the physical facility itself, there are definitely ways to preserve the knowledge um, that was gained from it. The main data that was collected from the NBS was these videotapes of all these different tests. Um, and then the various offices that worked in conjunction with the tank and kind of kept all that data and have it at Marshall. So I think that the, that that data and all the pictures and the photos and the videos from the tank should definitely be preserved. Um, and especially since neutral buoyancy isn't a dead concept, it's still being done. It's just being done at, at Johnson now and also at various other space agencies. Um, so neutral buoyancy is really widely used. And so definitely the data and the lessons that we learned should be um, kept. And the other thing too is this came up in one of the interviews that I had with an engineer, but he was talking about technology transfer and how you kind of transfer technology and, and science to different people. And he said that the way to do that is not to disseminate the, the technology, but to disseminate the people who worked with it. So I think that um, the NBS was really great because it brought so many people together from across NASA. There were, you know, all these, all the divers who worked at the tank were volunteers from the center. So they probably, they had different day jobs and then they would all come together and dive in the tank so that they would able to, they would be able to meet new people and work on different missions and they take those lessons with them. So I think that's, that's another key concept too. Well, I think you'll be happy to learn that you've accumulated so much great information that indeed we've started the process of, um, getting a major historian to write up the history based on the material that you've put together. And uh, that historian is Roger Lanius, uh, who is well known throughout uh, all of NASA and, uh, and the history of space. So uh, congratulations on all that very hard work that you did. It's gonna really pay off into, I think, a, a really great book about the neutral buoyancy simulator. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's great to hear. And, and thanks for all the support that I had during the internship. Um, and I, I think it's great that it's going to be um, put into an ebook. And, you know, hopefully then it's really accessible to, to so many people and they can learn about the history of the tank, which makes all the missions or so many of the missions that we know about possible. So Felicia, how does your internship relate to what you're going to be doing next? That is a wonderful question. Um, my internship came at a really a really interesting time, I guess, during the pandemic. Um, I was really, really feel fortunate to have, um, have had such a wonderful opportunity. Um, and so during my internship, it was over a period of months when I took off some extra time from school. Um, so I'm currently an undergraduate right now, and I have a, about six terms of, of schooling left before I graduate. Um, so I definitely do not know exactly what I wanna do still um, after I graduate, but um, I think it will be something that combines um, humanities and sciences in some way. And so that's why um, I really enjoyed this internship experience where, you know, my position was working with both the office of the chief scientist and also the history office. Um, so, you know, it's really been great to have more and more experiences as I get older that show me that those two things are intertwined and it's not sciences are separate from humanities, but the two things are really intertwined and depend on one another. Um, and I think this podcast and what you do, Jim, is a great example of that because you're doing, you know, science communication and, and telling the public about the science and everything that goes on at NASA, which I think is really important. So science communication is definitely a field that I would consider, um, along with other things like medicine um, or other things like that. So 
we will see. But I think this internship has really taught me a lot and helped me develop skills both in sciences and humanities that I'll use in the future. Well, Felicia, I always like to ask my guests to tell me what was that event, person, place, or thing that got them so excited that they ended up working at NASA. And I call that event a gravity assist. So Felicia, what was your gravity assist? So I was thinking about this question and trying to think back to back to my past and, and younger days and think about something that got me interested in science and in space exploration. And one memory that has always stuck with me is watching, um, it was a special on Nova. I think it was The Fabric of the Cosmos with Brian Greene, the physicist. Um, and it was like a four part special or something like that, that was on Nova. And, um, and I remember watching that and just being so fascinated because I was pretty young and he was talking about, you know, quantum physics and all these sorts of crazy things that happen in that world. So I think that really could capture anyone's imagination. Um, and it definitely did mine. And, and I would also credit my dad too, because he's a doctor, so he's a scientist and he, um, has, you know, he's been a really great inspiration and just seeing him work and his, his, like seeing his example has always gotten me interested in science and curious about the world around me. Um, so yeah, that's my gravity assist. Okay. Sounds great. Well, Felicia, thanks so much for joining me and discussing your fantastic work supporting NASA. Thanks for having me. Well, join me next time as we continue our journey to look under the hood at NASA and see how we do what we do. I'm Jim Green, and this is your Gravity Assist.